pray that as we open the scripture today that you will help us to, to see with fresh eyes and a fresh uh, understanding how we can trust you and how we can be faithful to you through the trials that we face in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're wrapping up our series that is called Habits of Grace. And then next week we're going to be uh, going into a new series. It's called Jesus Humble and Exalted. This series is going to be based in Philippians chapter 2. And it's to help us stand more in awe of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And it also has a lot of practical application to how we live our lives. But today we are wrapping up uh, Habits of Grace. And Habits of Grace are all about practices that we implement in our lives to help us grow in enjoying and in glorifying God. And these Habits of Grace are are really, um, they, they are practical action steps that we choose to implement in our lives. They're based on a conscious choice. We choose to read the Bible. We choose to pray. We choose to serve other people around us. We choose to fast. We choose to slow down at times in our lives. These are based on conscious and intentional choices we make in our lives. But today as we wrap up this Habits of Grace series, we are looking at a habit that focuses on circumstances that we do not choose. I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And today we're looking at the habit of persevering through the trials that we face in our lives. Now I want you to think in your minds about a trial that you face. Even a trial that you're currently going through in your life. For many of us, it may be a health challenge. Something that that no matter how hard we try, no matter what the doctors do, we are still facing this challenge. It might be frustrating. It might be scary. It might be expensive. A trial with our health. For many others, it might be a trial with family. Maybe, maybe with a child who has some sort of special needs or learning disability or severe allergy or just something that's kind of frustrating or draining or, again, expensive. Maybe it's a marital challenge. Maybe it's a challenge with other relationships where no matter how hard we try in this relationship, things aren't getting better. Maybe the trial you are facing is about grief, the loss of a loved one. I mean, there's so many other challenges. I mean, it could be a challenge at school or a challenge with job, whether it's losing a job or, or maybe it's that you are just stressed out in the job that you have. So I want you to think about a trial that you are facing in your life as I read James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, from this passage, I want to focus on four different words today. And the first two words are joy and trials. Joy and trials. Now, if you are facing a significant trial in your life, and you hear what James says in verse 2, you may be tempted if you were in your presence to want to punch him or to say, James, what in the world are you thinking here? You say, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And you may think, James, have you ever faced a trial in your life? 
How in the world can, can you say that we should consider it joy when we face trials? I mean, are we supposed to be like, oh, yay, our car needs a new brake job and it's really expensive, but let's celebrate. Or, you know what? I just lost my job. Yay. Or, my husband has cancer. All right. Or, you know, my, my team just lost a big game. Yes. Or, I mean, any number of other different things in our lives um, where, you know what, do we celebrate these things? You know, I just got bullied at school today, and it was great. No, I mean, that's not the typical reaction we have to the trials that we face in our lives. Yet, James Dell says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. So the question is, how do trials produce joy. How do trials produce joy? In order to understand how trials can produce joy, we need to understand what's going on in the rest of this passage. I invite you to look back here at this passage again. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. So the first two words we looked at from this passage are joy and trials. The second two words are perseverance and maturity. We have to understand that trials in our lives present us with a choice of whether or not to trust God. In fact, here in this passage, James draws a connection between our trials and being tested in our faith. He says that our trials are a testing of our faith. And what that means is that when we face trials, there's going to be a temptation to wonder, God, where are you? God, what are you doing in this? I don't understand what's going on. It's a testing of our faith. Are we going to trust God through this trial or not? Now, when we face trials in our lives, there are three different types of reactions that we can have. And the three different types of reactions are either to rebel, to resign, or to rejoice. And I, and I borrow these three different actions, uh, three, these three different reactions from a little book called Interior Freedom. It's by a French author named Jacques Philippe. And Jacques Philippe, in that little book, Interior Freedom, talks about these three different reactions we can have to trials. First of all, he says, when we face a trial, we are going to be tempted to rebel. And rebelling in the midst of a trial means that we get really angry, that we are doing everything we can to push back on that trial, to try to change all the circumstances. And again, it's characterized by a sense of anger and frustration. We get angry at God. We get angry uh, with the world around us. We get upset with anyone who might be any way connected to the trial, whether it's a doctor who gave us a prognosis, whether it's a teacher who may have given us a bad grade on a test, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a boss. It, it's very tempting, especially when we're in this rebellious mindset, to get angry. And the anger does transfer frequently to God. And that pulls us away from God. This is a, a pretty common mindset that we have just to, to push back hard, to take the bull by the horns and to get upset at anything and everyone who we think might be responsible for messing up whatever dreams or plans we have for our lives. So that's one response we could have when we face a trial is to rebel. A second response is to get resigned. And what that means is that when we face a trial that we lose heart. 
that, that we get so focused on our weakness that we feel paralyzed. Now, it is healthy in a trial to recognize our weakness. Hopefully that drives us back to God to depend on Him. But what oftentimes happens if we resign in the trial is that we move into a sense of hopelessness and despair where we don't feel like praying anymore. We don't feel like engaging with God. We, we, our heart gets kind of cold. We, we just get kind of numb and check out of reality. And so we can easily resign where we just kind of give up. There's no hope. There's no energy left to move forward. And both, both reactions that we've talked about so far, the rebelling and the resigning, both pull us away from God in different ways. But Jacques Philippe in that book, he said there's a third way to respond to trials, and that is to rejoice. And that's based uh, in a couple different places in Scripture, but one is here in James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now this idea of rejoicing in the face of trials, it, it, it's counterintuitive, it doesn't make sense, it's challenging, but it's also important because this idea of rejoicing, it does not mean that we go yay or great when, when a trial comes. What Jacques Philippe is talking about here is that, you know what, when we face a trial, we recognize, you know what, this is hard. This stinks. That if there's any way I could, I would change that trial. But, but this idea of rejoicing recognizes there are trials that we face that we can't change. That we just have to go through. And he says, when we are in that type of trial, that we do everything in our power to change and we can't change it, rather than getting angry and rather than getting resigned, instead, he uses a phrase I think is very helpful. He says that rejoicing in trials requires choosing what you did not choose. You know, if we could choose the, the route that our lives would go, I imagine all of us would have things in our lives that we would choose to go differently. There are things in our lives that are here, but we did not choose them, and we wish they were not here. But Jacques Philippe in this book, and I, I think this is a, a very important insight, says that in order to really embrace what God wants to do in our lives through the trial, in order to find any sort of joy that results from the trial, we need to choose what we did not choose. And what he means by that is that we make the intentional choice when we look at the reality of the trial and we recognize, you know what, it's here to stay. I, as much as I try, I can't change it. We look at it with reality and with clarity and through the lens of faith in, in terms of trusting in our faithful God. And we say, you know what, I choose to accept this trial as a situation in which God's love cannot be stopped and in which he can work for my good and for his glory. We may not have chosen this trial in our ideal life. But in the midst of the reality of the trial that we can't change, we say, you know what, I'm going to choose how I respond to it. I'm going to choose to trust God through this. I'm going to choose to trust that he is faithful and that he is sovereign and that he is loving and that he can work through this trial for my good and for his glory. Let me share with you just a little story. Um, I mean, it's a nice, simple, little feel-good story, but it, it shows what it's like to choose what you did not choose. Several years ago, there was an older woman named Margaret Geary, who, she was a nun, uh, she's 85 years old, lived in a convent near Baltimore, and she made the news 
Let me explain why she made the news. All the other women in her convent went to a four-day conference, but she stayed back at the convent. And soon after they left, she went down to the kitchen to get a snack. She opened the refrigerator, pulled out a jar that was a bunch of celery sticks immersed in water. And she took that jar. She got back in the elevator to go back up to her room. She pushed the button. The elevator went up two feet. It got stuck. And she, remember this 85-year-old woman, she, she tries to pry open the door of the elevator, and then the electricity goes out. She pulls out her cell phone from her purse. No reception in this elevator shaft. And she says that she started to panic, but she realized, you know what? I can either panic or I can pray. And it looks like I'm going to be taking a four-day prayer retreat. <laughs> and so what she did, when she got hungry, she ate some of the celery, and she prayed. And then when she would get thirsty, she would take a few drinks of that water from that celery jar, and she would pray. And then she rummaged around in her purse, and she found a bunch of cough drops that were in the bottom of her purse. And when her throat would get dry, she would suck on those cough drops, and she would pray. When she would get tired, she would lay down on the floor of that elevator, using her sweater as a pillow, and she would pray. After four days, the others who were at that conference came back. They discovered that she was stuck in the elevator. They did what was necessary to release her. And then in talking with her, they were asking Sister Margaret, what was it like to be stuck in that elevator? And she said to them, you know what? I realized that God had provided for me an opportunity to draw closer to him. And she said that the time in the elevator was a gift. Now, she did not choose to get stuck in that elevator. That was a trial that, you know what? For me, I probably would have been frustrated at least for a while, because, you know what? Being stuck in an elevator for four days derails whatever plans you had. But she said, you know what? It ended up being a gift. What she ended up doing, basically, was choosing to accept this trial as a situation in which God's love cannot be stopped and in which he can work for her good and for his glory. This is the difference it makes, that when we face trials, we have a decision yeah, we may not choose to bring that trial into our life, but we do get a choice of how we respond. And so what we see is that persevering through trials by turning to God produces spiritual maturity. And that is where the joy comes from in a trial. The joy doesn't come in the trial itself. The joy comes in, what, in the good that results from the trial. And that's what James is talking about here in James 1. He says, consider, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Trials produce many benefits in our lives. They may be challenging. They may produce heartache and pain that will not go away. But there are still benefits from our trials. Trials can offer us an opportunity to slow down and focus on what's truly most important. Trials can help us to release the grip that worldly things, worldly dreams, worldly pleasures have on our lives. Trials can refine us by, focus, by forcing us to deal with our impatience, to deal with our anger issues, to deal with 
our need to be in control. Trials can drive us to Jesus and help us to experience the truth that nothing compares to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Trials can help us to trust God more rather than trusting ourselves or trusting our circumstances. Trials can give us a vision and a passion for heaven that we could never attain if life was going exactly how we wanted it to go. So there are many different blessings that come with trials. But that does not mean that trials are easy. Even though there are blessings, even though there are benefits, trials are still challenging. And I know that if we went around this room this morning, we could all share trials in our lives. And I know that there are people here in the church family who are facing deep and hard trials. Trials that, that just boggle my mind at how challenging they are. I want to share just for a minute about a trial that is an ongoing issue in my life. Just to illustrate how, you know what, trials are things that you don't want. You would change them if you could, but when you can't change them, there are still good things that come, can come out of them. For me, one of the biggest ongoing challenges I have is with my eyes. I was born legally blind. You know how typical people are 20-20 vision. I was born somewhere in the range of 20-1500. What that means is that what normal people can see at 1500 feet, I might be able to see at 20 feet. And thankfully, uh, through childhood and through my teenage years, glasses and contacts helped me see decently well. I still don't have super strong eye muscles, but I could see decently well. In college, I had two LASIK surgeries. After the second LASIK surgery, my eyes did not heal well. And there was nothing that could be done to fix them. I had some significant vision problems, but even glasses or contacts or further surgeries could not fix my eyes at that point. It was a time of, of major worry, of, of significant despair, just because I couldn't see that well. I'd be walking across college campus. My best friend would be walking towards me 10 feet away. I still didn't recognize him. It, it was a challenge. Thankfully, after about five years, my eyes healed enough on their own to where glasses could help my vision. And then fast forward a few years, my, both my eyes got badly scratched by my children. And many of you uh, who were here a number of years ago would remember Christmas Eve. I wore a pirate patch on one eye because it got scratched so badly and it was so light sensitive. And what happened after they got scratched is they didn't heal well. They these ongoing eye issues. I got what's called corneal erosion. Where, um, where the eye has these imperfections that then, because of dry eyes as well, when I sleep at night, my eyes dry out, the eyelid sticks to the eyeball. And when the eyelid opens, it rips the surface of the eye. It creates excruciating pain, and it messes up my vision for days after that till the eye heals some. And thankfully, over time, my right eye has mostly healed from that corneal erosion. Still can't see the greatest, but, but I'm not dealing with that issue in that eye. My left eye is not getting better. It's actually continuing to get worse. I've been to a cornea specialist down at Freydert. There's nothing that can be done to fix it. So what I do is coping mechanisms to try to help it get better. And there's this whole process I go through every single night to try to keep my eye from sticking shut and ripping. I mean, you see on the countertop there um, a bunch of different things I do. I have several different types of eye drops, including expensive, expensive prescription drops that try to lubricate the eye. I have several ointments I put on my eye every night, and I reapply every time I wake up during the night. I have a contact lens I put on my eye for when I sleep. 
to help protect the eye, to keep it from tearing. I have this, this mask I put on that keeps moisture up against the eye to try to keep it lubricated. I have a plug in the tear ducts of my left eye to help keep it lubricated. It helps, but it's not perfect. I mean, during the day, I can't close my eyes for very long at once. Even during a prayer, I will bat my eyes several times to keep them lubricated or else they'll stick shut and tear. I can't take naps during the day without putting all that stuff in my eye to keep it from sticking and tearing. And, and even when my eyes are doing decently well, like today they're decent, but I still can't see that great. I have to use a large print Bible or else I can't read very well up here. When I'm teaching a Sunday morning class or a devotional during youth group, I have to blow up my notes to 14-point font so I can see them. I mean, I still can't see people very well from that far away. Um, I mean, it messes with certain types of sports I try to play or messes with how I watch TV, but I've learned to cope. I have various coping mechanisms, so I function quite well. But the reality is, this is an ongoing challenge that does strike fear in me as I look into the future. Because... Surgery is very risky because of all the material that's taken off my eye because of the LASIK surgeries. I mean, don't know what's going to happen. It's kind of scary. And like I said, I look at this, and I've, I've been able to cope with it pretty well. I'm in a pretty decent spot right now with what's going on. I know there are others here in the congregation who are facing much more challenging issues than that. But I look at my eye issues, and I think, you know what? If I could, I would undo all the eye issues I have. I would love to have eyes that could see well, that I don't have to fear going to sleep at night. But I can also say that if I did not have those eye issues in my life, I'd be lacking a lot of the spiritual maturity that God has worked in my life as a result of those issues. I can point to a lot of very humbling and, and embarrassing situations with my eyes and my vision that have helped me to surrender to God in ways that I probably wouldn't have otherwise. I can point to specific instances where I can say, you know what, this is what God did in my life in that hardship as a result of my eyesight. And I'm thankful for the outcome. I'm not thankful for the pain. I'm not thankful for the embarrassment. But I'm thankful for what God did in my life as a result of the trial. I think that's what it means to be joyful in the midst of our trials. That we are not happy that we have the trial itself. But we are thankful we are, we are, um, are, are, are joyous even for the outcome of spiritual maturity, of trusting in God, of seeing him more clearly as a result of the trials. When you look at whether it's surveys of how people grow spiritually or testimonies of people talking about their spiritual growth, so often it's related to trials and pain and hardship in their lives because God works through our trials. And that's why the habit of grace that we are closing on today is to intentionally choose to persevere with God through the trials of life. Persevere with God through the trials of life. We will face trials. That's inevitable. And anything that's really worth pursuing requires perseverance. I mean, if you want to be good in sports, you will have trials. You have bumps in the road that you have to persevere if you want to be good in sports. If you want to have a healthy marriage, it doesn't come easily. There will be trials. To have a healthy marriage, it requires perseverance. If you want to be a good parent, it requires perseverance through hardships and trials. If you want to be healthy physically, it requires perseverance in eating well and in exercising. 
It's the same in our spiritual lives. We started this series back in January by looking at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, where it says, Train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value in all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. I mean, it's talking about training for sports. Physical training is of some value. That type of training for sports, to be a good athlete, requires perseverance. And how much more so does training ourselves to be godly? Now, this idea of persevering, like I said, it applies in all different parts of life. And it applies to all different spiritual disciplines, all the habits of grace as well. We need to persevere in reading the Bible. Persevere in praying. Persevere in meeting with other Christians to build each other up. And persevere through the trials that we face. And we have the promise from Scripture that if we persevere with God through the trials. You know, Psalms are a great resource for that. Because Psalms put words through our heartache as we go through challenges. But Psalms also point us back to God. As we persevere with God through our trials, we have the promise that we will grow in spiritual maturity. Which is all about enjoying God and bringing glory to Him in every circumstance, through the ups and the downs. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are a faithful God. We look at our lives and we do face challenges, we face trials, things that we certainly would not invite into our lives. And Lord, in the midst of our challenges, I pray that we will trust in you. Lord Jesus, you said that in this world we will have trouble. But take heart because I've overcome the world. Lord, we look forward to that day. When through faith in Christ, we will be in your presence, no longer suffering, no longer having pain, no longer having trials. That will be a joyous day. But between now and then, Lord, help us to be faithful to you. I pray that even though we don't choose the trials that come into our lives, that we will choose to cling to you, choose to persevere, and that we will see your faithfulness through the trials, that we will feel the support of those around us, and that you will grow us in enjoying you and glorifying you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.